Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen. I can present the word level of one-dimensional. And delivered piping hot into the comfort of your own living room in 30 minutes or less, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 25th of October 1994. Sonic and Knuckles is top of the console charts and Star Wars Rebel Assault tops the PC charts, though Doom 2 takes top spot in all formats. But take that, are still top of the pops with Shaw. And there's a new number one at the top of the box office with The Lion King. <laughs> Circle of Life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. He was born to rule. This will all be mine? Everything the light touches. But a shadow lies over the kingdom. I will be king. Run away and never return. Kid Virginia. I don't want to talk about it. He looks blue. I'd say brownish gold. No, no, no. I mean, he's depressed. Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. He grew up hoping to leave his old life behind. I know who you are. You're Mufasa's boy. You're the king. King? Have you got your lions crossed? You know my father? Correction. I know your father. He died. A long time ago. Nope. Wrong again. 
shall show him to you. Finally, the Lion King is here and it is roaring onto the cinema charts. Oh, yeah. I remember Aladdin coming out. I kind of remember The Little Mermaid coming out. But The Lion King is the one that sticks in my head more than anything because this was a juggernaut. Aladdin didn't top the charts in the UK for long, if I remember correctly, because it has happened in our timeline. But The Lion King, this boy sticks around for a while. Yeah, it goes off and then it comes back again. Like it is here for a while and it feels like it's kind of dominated Games Master for the last couple of episodes because we had it as a feature or like we had it in the news items, didn't we? And then we've had like reviews. It's a challenge in next week's episode. It just feels like it's around a lot at the moment and now it's on top of the box office. Like you, I remember this movie coming out so, so vividly, going to the pictures to go and see this as well. You know, I was I was a kid at the time. This is 1994, so I'm eight years old going to see this film. And that opening shot, which was basically the trailer for the movie, you know, that sort of like panning shot across the um, sort of the landscape and stuff up to Pride Rock. They sort of just released that as the trailer for the movie to be like, look at the incredible animation that's here. Go see the movie. As a kid, I don't think I appreciated that enough. It was an animated movie and animation always looks really nice. Like I always just thought that animation always looked nice. But now as I watch it as an adult and you saw the detail that's in there, it is, it's magical, man. Part of me prefers Aladdin uh, because it's got Robin Williams, like as the absolute tour de force that he is in there. Also some early CGI in that movie, which is kind of cool. But I would say I think The Lion King is the better film. Yeah, maybe. Like I, I'm an Aladdin kid. I had a, I had both of these on video when they came out, and I watched the Aladdin a lot more. And with the Lion King, I don't know the second half of the Lion King that well because pretty much like once um, Akuna Matata is done, I kind of turn off the rest of the movie. I kind of like I switch out for Adult Simba because there's no no real good songs after that. Well, no no fun songs at the very least because obviously Can You Feel the Love Tonight's in there, um, but like there's no fun songs. So pretty much, like, once he becomes Adult Simba, I'm less interested in the movie, and I very rarely finished it. I mean, I think I like The Lion King because, you know, Aladdin is a fun movie. There are a few dark moments in it. But The Lion King, for for the goofiness, for the Hakuna Matatas, for the Timon and Pumbas, there is a real heart of darkness to it with what Scar does. You know, kills the king, guilt trips a child, lays waste to the pride... And then it's a, it's kind of a redemption revenge cycle and the whole elephant graveyard sequences. Maybe it's because I, you know, I am a horror kid. Mm. Maybe that is, maybe, maybe that's why I kind of was drawn to The Lion King because there is a lot about The Lion King that is horrific. Yeah, the, the shot when you go back to Pride Rock after Scar has taken over, and bear in mind it's been sort of like 10 or so years or whatever it is because Simba was a child, now he's an adult. And it is, it's a wasteland. Like, it's genuinely terrifying. Like, and I think the hyenas are a really good, like, bonus little villains to sort of, like, be the little henchmen around Scar. There's some wonderfully dark scenery uh, peppered throughout, which is really, really nice. It's like the raising of the Shire in Lord mm. of the Rings. It's kind of like this this luscious green land is now destitute. You know, the circle of life has been broken. Yeah, as I said, like, as I appreciate it more now as an adult than I did when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid having loved aladdin what i loved in aladdin was the genie and the sort of zaniness and all that sort of stuff 
And the zaniness in, in Lion King stops at a certain point, like you say, because it then becomes this very sort of serious and, and dark movie. And I guess it was at that time, I was just way more interested in the, the zany stuff. I wanted to see more of Timon and Pumbaa because that's who was marketed towards me uh, when I was a kid. Yeah, they definitely got the Jar Jar Binks kind of balance right in this. You know, where, where Lucas actually failed is they were like, okay, we are going to have kind of a film that has a plot and has a semi-serious plot, but we need something we can sell toys off of, and Timon and Pumbaa are it. But the balance was way better in this one. And it's not surprising, given that this was like a six-year development cycle on this film. It started while they were promoting Oliver and Company. Yeah, it goes way, way back. Like, and like Roy Disney was still like a head honcho by like when they were still talking about this kind of things. Like, that's how far back it goes. Before like it's kind of really before Eisner's big time days. Yeah, and active production started at the same time as Pocahontas, so back in 1991. Yeah, like this was you know the part of the big Disney Renaissance, which was like Michael Eisner's big grand plan. Katzenberg, I think, is quite heavily involved in in the production of this one. I think this is one of his like last big projects he had before he goes. But I don't want us to get too into the Lion King now because we are going to have it for a number of weeks, and it would be good to talk about it piecemeal because also we've got a challenge coming up. And the game itself is no slouch, although I know you have issues with the game. <laughs> Though I don't blame the developers for that. Now, I now just blame Disney for that. I wanted to talk about a song that is not top of the charts, but does achieve its highest position this week. Of course, yes. Okay, so this has been in... <laughs> so this, if you're part of our Discord, you'll have seen Ash talk about this recently because we got into a conversation, a few of us, about new metal and stuff, and I brought up Korn recently on a, on a previous podcast episode. And you then just mentioned, like, oh, I'm actually just over here thinking about this track that was uh, released around this time. Oh, I could talk about it when we get to this episode because it is in our timeline then. So, Ash, the floor is yours. So Teenage Ash at this point was listening to some current music, was listening to, you know, some of the bands that were charting. Let's take that. But, you know, I was enjoying some of the other stuff. But I was also beginning to look back in time and discovering bands that perhaps my parents had grown up with or similar. I did get a lot of my musical tastes from my mum. For my mum, I got the more pop side of stuff. So the Beatles and Elton John and things like that. And for my dad, I got the blues side of things because my dad likes the blues. And with my mum, her love of the Beatles kind of stopped just before Sgt. Pepper, because at that mm -hmm. point, they got weird. And that yeah. was not of interest to her. Whereas from my perspective, at that point, they got weird. And that was very much my jam. I love the odder the Beatles got, you know, but I preferred it when they got more experimental. And that would lead me to other bands. It would lead me to Genesis, not just the stuff that was charting around this time, but looking back to the earlier stuff, it would eventually lead me to things like The Grateful Dead, a band that never really fully penetrated the UK market, although they did enjoy some cult niche success. It would also lead me to a band who had a single in the charts at this point and who would go on to become probably my favourite band of all time, Pink Floyd, which is about as far removed from new metal as you're gonna get <laughs> yeah and this indeed was their second and last single from the last kind of official pink floyd album i would say the last proper pink floyd album released ever there was another one released a few years back just that was made up of actually leftover sessions from this with a few new recorded bits but this is from the division bell and it's a double a side of high hopes and keep talking 
It was written by David Gilmour, who was at that point the guardian of the Pink Floyd name after Roger Waters had split following the final cut. Uh, Not a happy split, still legally contentious until this day. They're still in a war of words in 2021. Although most of the anger and bitterness seems to come from Roger Waters and David Gilmour mostly seems to be kind of tired of it. Mm. But the song Keep Talking was written by Gilmour, Richard Wright, also a founding member of Pink Floyd, and David Gilmour's wife, Polly Sampson, who was a journalist and writer and often a focus of Roger Waters' ire. There were a number of times when he would take pot shots at the post-Waters Pink Floyd and make comments of, you know, oh, well, I'm still making music and I'm not getting my wife to write the lyrics. Right, okay. Quite childish. Keep Talking itself is notable for a guest vocal appearance, though, by one Stephen Hawking. At the time that this song was being written, there was a BT television advertisement which featured the voice of Stephen Hawking talking about the power of communication. It was kind of in the same sort of line as the Bob Hoskins, it's good to talk adverts. And Gilmore was quite open and said, that advert really, really moved me. Uh, Hawking's speech really kind of affected me, actually reduced me to tears at one point. And so they took elements of Hawking's speech that was used in that advert and integrated it into this song. And High Hopes itself was composed by David Gilmore, with lyrics by Gilmore and the subject of Roger Waters' ire, Polly Sampson. It was the closing track on the album and was also the song that gave birth to the title of the album because the lyrics contain the phrase, the ringing of the division bell has begun. And when it came to naming the album, David Gilmore turned to a friend and fan of Pink Floyd, a writer, you may have heard of him, he's called Douglas Adams. Oh, cool. Yeah, and said, you know, name the album, come up with the title. Douglas Adams chose the title after going through the lyrics. And that would not be the end of Adams' association with this album because on the Division Bell tour that would go around the world, cost a fortune and still look spectacular on video today because massive laser light show, giant projection screens, it's so cool. On one of the London shows, as a birthday present, Douglas Adams would take to the stage with Pink Floyd and play guitar, which as a fan of Douglas Adams, as a fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as a massive fan of Pink Floyd, I wish official recordings existed of that moment. It's out there as fan cam and bootlegged audio, which I'm very grateful for. But it's just a beautiful moment that uh, that melds them together. And yeah, I just wanted a chance to mention Pink Floyd on this uh, on this podcast, really. I will get to again, maybe. Depends where the release of the live album that came off the Division Bell tour lands. I haven't quite looked ahead that far yet. But yeah, Teenage Ash at this point was well getting into his Pink Floyd and was kind of starting with the Division Bell and working his way backwards. My uh, knowledge of Pink Floyd, I, I mean, very interesting because I know next to nothing about Pink Floyd. Because my only knowledge, I think, as probably anyone would uh, hazard a guess, is Brick in the Wall, right? Sorry, you, you're just pushing your nose up the glasses there if you want to correct me. Another Brick in the Wall, part two. Yeah, exactly. So, but like, worse than that, because I think this might even make it worse for me. I didn't know that it was their song because uh, the Bloodhound Gang on the Hooray for Boobies album have a line in there. It was like, All in all, you're just a, another dick with no balls. Yes. And I thought those were their, I thought that was their song. I thought it was with those, they were their lyrics. Well, until like much later in life, I heard 
uh, another brick in the wall. I was like, oh, they parodied it from another song. Cool. Okay, now I get it. So that is pretty much all I know of Pink Floyd is actually I knew a Bloodhound Gang song that made a parody of it and I didn't know it was a parody. Well, I have a way of tying us all back together. And there may be some people listening, by the way, that have gone, there is so much more you could have said about the song than you actually did. And it's like, yeah, I had notes on this and I cut them to ribbons because I realised that as long as we normally tangent, I could probably do a solid hour on the Division Bell, probably more, and still not cover everything. But Another Brick in the Wall was covered by Corn. Yes, it was. Uh, not very well, I must add. Really? I think their cover's pretty good. Yeah, no, I didn't like because I, I, I was not into Corn at that point. I didn't like that era of Corn. And when they did that cover, I was like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm into this. See, as a Pink Floyd fan, I actually think it's it's a pretty damned good cover, particularly because they don't just cover the uh, the three minute kind of another brick in the wall part two. They throw part one and part three in there as well. So they've got the kind of slow refrain at the beginning of Daddy's flown across the ocean. And it's like it's very creepy and sinister. Because they also did a cover of Word Up as well, which I also didn't think was particularly great. I am genuinely shocked that I thought this would be the unifying moment, Luke, and I'm genuinely shocked we're actually at loggerheads. Yeah, my thing with um, Corn's Brick in the Wall, it's just like it, there was, it was a new metal trope at the time, which was just like, let's cover old songs. Because Limp Bizkit did it, like Limp Bizkit kind of rose to popularity by doing Faith, which I do think is a very good cover. Oh, and Behind Blue Eyes, which pissed me off because... I did not like at all. That's the, sort of the, the negative side of it. Like Faith was really good. And then it felt like every other person, every other band that tried to do what well, we need, our faith, never did it well. Where do you stand on Disturbed's cover of Land of Confusion? Um, it's better than their cover of Shout, which is very bad. See, now I'm going over all the other various covers at the time. What about Faith No More covering Easy? Love that though. That's superb. They also, I mean, I, I, I and this is none of none of this is staying in the episode. We're just chatting now. <laughs> Until it stays in the episode. I used to really get, I used to really piss my friend off at university because I kept saying, and I was, I stand by this, I think their version of War Pigs is better. But that is because I love Mike Patton's vocals. I'm not the biggest Ozzy Osbourne fan. And I don't like, like Ozzy Osbourne's voice doesn't like, it's never been my favorite vocal, but Mike Patton's vocal is my favorite vocal in the world. So it's just like, it's that, it's a perfect thing for me. I think because like I had way more exposure to the Ozzy version, I struggled to hear that song in anyone's voice but his. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, that's cool. We're allowed to differ on these things. Welcome to the Games Master. Veritable deep pan pizza of video game entertainment delivered piping hot into the comfort of your own living room in 30 minutes or less, or you get a pound off. Tonight's toppings include the first ever showing of Donkey Kong Country. I don't know about you, Rash, but the intro to this episode made me think of the 90s teen uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Of just Michelangelo sitting down there with Peter Dude's got 30 seconds. That's what this reminded me of. And I love that for no reason other than to upset the goblins, Dom is smoking a cigar. Because obviously you'll have heard the audio, but essentially what happens is while Dom is doing his pizza riff, he's holding a cigar in his hand and the goblins are about to chow down on their admittedly quite sh looking takeaway pizza. And Dom, when he finishes his spiel, takes the cigar and stubs it out in the pizza, <laughs> and the goblins throw down their slices in disgust, which shocks me because it's like, guys, you already had picked up the pizza. It was in your hands. Those slices were fine. 
into the other slice. You can get, take from the other ones. Yeah, he only stubbed his cigar out on one slice. You can still get all the others. I just don't like seeing pizza go to waste. It upsets me, Luke. Unless, of course, the slices that they had were like the perfect slices. You know, if you get a pizza with lots of toppings on it, and it's one of those slices that's got all of the toppings like in a perfect with perfect separation yeah and also if you fold it because that's the best way to eat a decent slice of pizza is you do the fold that's the new york Mm -hmm. style and if you get it to fold perfectly down the middle so you have this nice kind of self-contained delivery i want a pizza now luke yeah it's not even lunchtime and i want a pizza I had pizza last night watching the England game, and it was absolutely delightful. I mean, because I'm, I'm a simple, I'm a bit of a basic bitch when it comes to pizza as well. I, I could have classic margarita is all I ever have because uh, I, I just I, that's that's what I love. I like the cheese and I like the tomato sauce. So I don't actually have any of the toppings on there, but I do love if I can get a proper cheesy, cheesy pizza. Excellent. I like cheese, tomato, pepperoni with either jalapenos or green chilies on top. If I had choice of extra toppings beyond that, I would probably double the cheese or something or maybe extra pepperoni. But I like my combination of cheese, meat, and some heat. Yeah, that's the perfect way to do it. Like when I was back in my meat eating days, uh, I would get the Texas barbecue from Domino's because that had like, hey, I love the barbecue sauce on there. And I'd take those mushrooms off and replace those with jalapenos uh, or sweet corn sometimes. Um, That was like my perfect pizza. Fist bump through the screen. (laughs) But anyway, also, we're getting our first look at Donkey Kong Country today, but to bring things back around to video games, Donkey Kong is a big focus of this episode. Uh, You'll have heard the episode we did last week where we looked at Donkey Kong Country exposed. So if you haven't heard that episode and you're thinking like, ah, brilliant, this will be the episode where the lads talk about the history and development of Donkey Kong Country, you would be wrong. That was last week's episode. I mean, we will still talk about Donkey Kong Country, but we decided to split it out because we're trying we're trying to make these episodes easier to edit and also easier to listen to. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, let's get into our first challenge in this Donkey Kong special. What are we playing, Games Master? It gives me enormous pleasure to get the barrel rolling on this Donkey Kong special. The challenge on the arcade game started all Donkey Kong. This ancient platformer has stood the test of time and should still provide a tough test for our games players. Their aim will be to finish level one in the fastest time, avoiding the barriers being hurled by the little bit perturbed Donkey Kong. Well, of course, it's Donkey Kong. It is the 1981 original being played here on the arcade hardware via a super gun. Yeah, I was going to ask what this was being played via because I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Like I, I've written my notes that I was surprised this wasn't the 94 version uh, that's just come out on Game Boy, particularly if you, you know, want to show off new games and stuff. But I get that it actually makes more sense to go back to the original. Also, they might not have had like a, a demo board of, of 94. Um, but I was curious as to like what version of this they were playing and what they were playing it on. No, this was the 1981 original, as best as I can tell, maybe a later revision feel free to at me if I'm wrong, but it does appear to being played on a super gun or jammer type setup. Uh, They have some controllers that are definitely kind of early arcade stick type boxes that are clearly using arcade components inside. We'll actually see them on some of the upcoming episodes also for the Neo Geo games. We see King of Fighters in a few episodes time and that's using the same controller. So clearly they have now got a nicely set up way 
to play arcade games without having to fuss around with an actual cabinet, mm. which is definitely better for the production, better for the filming, better for the players, because it means that they get to actually just sit and play as they would at home. Makes life slightly easier. Yeah, I think that this episode is the start of like a new batch of, of tapings and stuff, and a certainly different batch of like editing as well, because they've added now like goblin laughter into certain things. We get it during the celebrity challenge. So it feels like, you know, when we interviewed Dom a few weeks back, or many weeks back at this point now, he said that he wasn't keen on the production of the first few episodes of Games Master Series 4. And I think they're now starting to find, like the, the introduction of the goblin laughter feels like they now are in that groove. And I wonder if that's the same if they've got that nice way of playing arcade games. Because we had Primal Rage in an actual arcade cabinet back in episode two or whatever it was. Here we are with the original with Donkey Kong, originally released in Japan on July 9th, 1981. Then it made its way to North America the same month, Europe later that year. And it's a very early example of the platform genre, uh, featuring a character that was originally unnamed, then called Jumpman, then eventually evolved into Mario, trying to rescue his damsel in distress, Pauline, from the titular giant ape one Donkey Kong. And this game was really one of the latest in a series of attempts by Nintendo to make headway into that North American market, to basically go toe-to-toe with Atari and co and make some bank. And this time, it really kind of worked. And I think it would have worked as well had it been its original Popeye IP. It did as well because it would have had the branding on it. Yeah, because this was meant to be Popeye was the character running up Olive oil was at the top, and Donkey Kong was going to be Bluto. And yeah. what a weird and wonderful world we would have lived in if that Popeye intellectual property had stayed with Nintendo, had stayed with this game. Would we have had a series of Popeye games that were as big and as long-lasting as Mario? Would we, we would we have been playing Popeye 64 or Popeye Galaxy? I actually think the best thing that ever happened to Nintendo was losing that Popeye IP. Yeah, it's one of those great what-ifs uh, of video gaming. You know, it's a, what if Sony and Nintendo had got... If, if Nintendo hadn't have stabbed Sony in the back and gone with Philips, I, I think the same thing of the Popeye thing. Would this game... Would this game have actually been a hit? Like, would people have looked at Popeye and been like, that ah, seems a bit dated at this point? you know in the in the 80s but i am uh, i'm glad that we got it this way and donkey kong is a very very good game i've played it in arcades a lot over the years because if you go to arcade uh like barcades and things like that they'll always have a donkey kong cabinet available and it's so playable so brilliantly playable like this is you know miyamoto at it is sort of like simple genius when I've been playing Donkey Kong 94 a lot recently, I've been re- I really enjoyed playing through these early levels again. The documentary that came out um, many years back now, King of Kong, just makes me love Donkey Kong even more, and and just sort of like love this this the simplicity of the game. And I love that it's a Miyamoto game, and I love the fact that this is a game where the story actually preceded the game. Up until that point, a lot of stories for games were tagged onto the end. It's like, oh, um, okay, it's Space Invaders. You're shooting a bunch of ships. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you're defending the Earth. There we go. We'll add that on at the end. Now the game's developed. But no, Miyamoto came up with the concept of this love triangle, which kind of mirrored the Popeye license that they were pursuing. Also mirrors King Kong and Fei Ray and going back to going back to that influence. And I'm going to put influence in bunny ears because it was an influence that resulted in a lawsuit or an attempted mm-hmm. lawsuit 
I don't think Universal were wrong in that one. I mean, the courts say otherwise, but I don't think they were wrong to try. (laughs) No. You know at the time, particularly, you know, pre-internet days, that as much as they called it Donkey Kong, as much as they pushed the donkey part of things, there were still a lot of people going, oh, yeah, I was down the arcade playing that King Kong game. I guarantee you that was the case, yeah. Especially because of the setup of the levels, where you have King Kong at the top of a structure with the captive character. Mm Mm-hmm just like the climax of King Kong. Yeah, there's just no biplanes in there. I wonder if that was Nintendo's big thing. It's like, I don't see a biplane around here. How could this be a ripoff of uh, of, of the thing? I mean, King Kong. To be honest, I suspect if they could have technically done biplanes, they would have done biplanes. <laughs> yeah. And the game, when it was released, was popular in North America, also popular in Japan, also popular in the UK and Europe, and was licensed to other companies for home conversions. So you think of the concept of Donkey Kong appearing on anything other than a Nintendo console now, it would be ludicrous. But at the time, you got versions of this for the home console, for Atari. They licensed the game to Coleco. I was going to say the Coleco vision was actually pretty good. Yeah. And not only did they license the game, but other companies just went, oh, we'll just make our own version. And so here we have early cloning going on, but also it became a bit of a marketing juggernaut. The characters appeared on cereal boxes. It was in cartoons, loads of other places. And it was when it started to appear on merchandising, that is when Universal Studios kind of went, hey, hang on. Hang on a tick. And whilst Donkey Kong was a very successful game, it is not the titular character that would actually go on to have the most successful run because Donkey Kong for a long time disappeared into the background and it was unknown character slash Jumpman slash Mario that took center stage at first with a Mario Brothers arcade game and then of course onto the home systems as well as numerous spin-off titles including some that would feature Donkey Kong as a backup character and it wasn't until Donkey Kong Country that truly he took the spotlight and actually by the reboot that was Donkey Kong Country kind of gain his own mythology separate from the Mario universe. Yeah, because like we had a couple of Donkey Kong arcade sequels. Donkey Kong Jr. is really, really good. And there was one on the NES, like, which was Donkey Kong Maths and things like that. So like there was, they, they, he did have games, but you're right. Like it, basically he kind of faded off into obscurity until Super Mario Kart when he was just there as a, uh, as a character. And even then, like Nintendo now say like, that's not Donkey Kong from that. That's Donkey Kong Jr. who's now grown up. And then, you know, when we get to Donkey Kong Country later on, as we were talking about last week, episode that's donkey kong jr and cranky kong is the original donkey kong from the arcade game i do have to give some degree of credit to the moxie on nintendo for actually making it all make sense rather than just going ah fuck it yeah because it could have easily done so i mean the fact that they make sense of the mario universe at all is commendable because that that place is a mess because we've got pauline then we've got daisy then we've got peach yep pauline comes back as well she's in mario odyssey yeah, we've talked in the past about the kind of the raising of the Star Wars universe when Disney came in and simplified it. And part of it almost feels, and this could be the most controversial take I ever have on this podcast, that Nintendo should do the same with Mario. They should just strip it back. Do the big Mario reboot. Basically, they, they kind of, they do the, the blip and they just wipe <laughs> yeah. out all the extraneous. And <laughs> yeah. suddenly Luigi is essentially Mario in green. Up on the Donkey Kong special, we have Cheetan, Simon Smith, and Alistair Gray. Right, well, begin with you, Chi. Uh, 
Uh, what's your favourite film? Uh, True Lies. True Lies. Are you a big Arnie fan then? Yeah. Um, right, uh, Simon, which video game character then do you fancy the most? Probably Cammy, Super Street Fighter 2. What appeals to you about Cammy? Don't know, just think she's great. Yeah, and she's got a sparkling personality yeah. as well. Um, finally, Alistar, when you're not playing video games, what do you like to do? I like to go rollerblading. What do you like about rollerblading? I know, it's fast. Well, you've uh, certainly convinced me that I think I'm going to go out and uh, get one right away. Alistair's t-shirt is massive, and Cheetan's favourite movie is True Lies. Which I take to mean he's seen two of his films, Terminator 2 and True Lies, and that's probably about it at this point. Yeah, probably, because like, it's not even like Terminator's like, was, you know, people really like Terminator 2, but no one was really talking about the original, even though I do think that the, the original is my favourite of the, of, of the Terminator franchise. Um, but yeah, because like T2's massive and, you know, uh, True Lies is massive at this time. So it's just like those are the Arnie films. He's getting more and more family friendly, therefore more easily accessible to people this age. I mean, the original Terminator is a scary, dark film and probably less seen. It's also quite a slow film. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe he'd have seen some of the Conan films because they were shown quite often on ITV. But even then, you'd still need to bribe your parents to let you up past the 9pm watershed for those. Yeah, I was going to say, the only other one might have been Predator, like if you'd seen that on VHS or something. That's true, actually. I briefly forgot about Predator, and I don't know why, as it is actually one of my favourite Arnold films. Yeah, same here. It's it's Simon that I feel bad for here, though, because he gets given the, the, the question that is the easiest to make fun of. Because, you know, you go to Cheetown, what's your favourite movie? True Lies. Oh, you're an Arnie fan, cool. Later he goes to Alistair, he's like, what do you like to do? I like rollerblading. Why do you do that? Oh, because it's fast. But this one here... Is specific, like there's no good answer to this question that Dominic Diamond can't make fun of you from. Because he's just like, what video game character do you fancy the most? Uh, Cammy. Why is that? Oh, uh, I don't really know. It's a sparkling personality, I bet. You pig, you filthy pig. It's like, oh, Dominic, you set him up to fail there. It's not like he has the greatest choice of characters at this point, because let's see, what have we got? We probably got like Chun-Li, Cammy, Sonya Blade. Yeah, my from Ma- King of Fighters. Only just at that point. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, a character from some of the SNK games or Pauline or Daisy from Mario or, or Samus, but even like Samus from Super Metroid and the Metroid series. It's amazing how at this point in time, a lot of people didn't actually realise that there was a female character inside the Metroid suit. Yeah, because you wouldn't know that until you finished the game. Or unless you read the backstory, which yeah. a lot of people really didn't at the time because it involved reading the manual and we're kids Luke we don't need to read the manuals although people like me and you we read the manuals a lot oh yeah I'm reading that manual I can read the manual more easily than I can play the game sometimes (laughs) but I do like when he does ask Alistair like why do you like rollerblading and the response is is well it's fast and Dom's like well I'm convinced I'm gonna go and buy one of those right away (laughs) yeah so many ways that you could sell rollerblading as being a good activity, good exercise, you know, a good way to meet people. You can do cool tricks. It's fast. Well, maybe he also likes a bit of speed. November the 25th, we'll see the launch of a new Sega add-on that takes the normal Mega Drive and says, Hello, sir, would you like to be 40 times more powerful? We forced two kids at gunpoint to go down to Sega's HQ this week for an exclusive preview. Once you've plugged in the 32X, the Mega Drive gets a little bit exciting and begins playing a new format of games with graphics and noises that are simply spanky. 
Want to see more? We've only got one news item this week, but it's a bit of a big in because we're looking at the 32X, which we mentioned uh, a couple of episodes ago. It might be like the first time they've really started to mention this on Games Master, but like it is nuts that we've got the 32X here. And then it's either next week's episode or the week after that, we're talking about the Sega Saturn. And this is why Sega completely bollocks the mid-90s. Yeah, because here we are being told that this will make your Mega Drive 40 times more powerful. I think the math is a bit wonky there, Dom. That's what, you know, but apparently Sega are keen to push this. So Games Master took kids at gunpoint yeah. down to Sega HQ for an exclusive preview and show them this device that has graphics and noises that are quite simply spanky. Now, I presumed that this was a um, a Sega 32X promotional video that they just added the voiceover into where they have like, you know, and here is what these people thought about the game because it's not actually talking heads. You watch kids playing the game and then you get some voiceover of them talking about Star Wars and Doom and this, that and the other. But it, I figured it was a promotional video because when they go through the door and they close it, in the little window of the door, they have the guy from the American commercial who's like, Hey! You still don't have a Sega CD? What are you waiting for, Nintendo to make one? You have seen the games, right? Wrong answer, man. Show them! It's that guy, so I presumed that this was just a promo video that they've slapped voiceover onto. But having said that, I couldn't find the promo video, so I wasn't sure. I don't know, because I think this was definitely the Sega HQ here in the UK. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I was going, it, it just because there was no talking heads to it. That's what made me think that it was something not fishy about it, but something that was that was different to a a usual like onset piece. But let's dip in a little to the 32X, the follies of the 32X. Now you've got the Console Wars book. There's a TV show and the documentary that's due out. There's going to be there are a lot of different ways to basically follow the colossal clusterfuck that was Sega of the mid 90s. But it is fair to say that the 32X, in addition to being a result of a division in Sega between the concept of launching a new console and embiggening the existing Mega Drive Genesis platform, was also kind of a panic response to the Atari Jaguar and the fear that the Saturn wouldn't be ready. Yeah, pretty much. And there are two ways that you can approach that impending Jaguar. Well, there were actually three ways you can deal with that impending Jaguar. The first one, and the most accurate one, is to go, it's Atari, they're probably going to bollocks it. The second one, which is the Nintendo approach, is we're going to continue on our development cycle for our next console, and we're basically just going to continue to enhance our existing console via in-cartridge chips and canny marketing by basically going, well, okay, they may want you to spend £150 or $200, but look, you can do this with the console you've already got. Nintendo was actually probably the first company to try and bypass the Bitsmith, although they would later come on to rely on it for the Nintendo 64. But at this point, as we covered last week, it's not 32-bit, it's not 32X, this is 16-bit. You don't need more than 16 bits. What are you, kind of a supercomputer? I've said this on the podcast before. I get what they were going for with the 32X and the Mega CD, and I really do appreciate it. I've never owned either peripheral, but I kind of do because I want to have, like, basically on my desk, I want to have the Mega Drive with the Mega CD underneath it and the 32X on top with, like, Sonic and Knuckles with a game plugged into the top of that. So you get, like, the real, like, tower of Mega Drive things there. As I think it was Angry Video Game No one said it looks like it's on life support. 
with all the cables and stuff coming out the back of it because it's a mess of the, each one of those bloody add-ons has got its own plug-in as well it's got its own adapter and stuff so i appreciate what they were going for but it didn't work and the fact that like later in this thing dominant is like oh they they say it's good and they expect to be 40 games by next easter there were 40 games in total and that yeah. was it there were 40 games for the 32x and that's it and most of them are games that you could get on the mega cd you know it's corpse killer it's doom it's mortal kombat 2 which you can get on the mega drive it's uh night trap which you can get that on the mega cd it's primal rage you can get that on the mega drive most of them have got like crossover with other different sega consoles there's not many good exclusives to the 32x they had their sonic game knuckles chaotix and it's fucking bobbins and it's probably the worst of the 16-bit sonic games well, worst of the 32. Well, well yes. <laughs> the faux 32. The faux 16-bit, maybe. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, I, I'm, not even the, I'm not even the biggest fan of Sonic 3D Blast, but I will play that over Knuckles Chaotix. There is a way that I think they could have saved this entire situation. I mean, there's a lot of ways they could have saved it, but there is a way they could have had their kind of 32X and eaten it, and it would have required them to delay the Saturn further, which is, you know, I've got the Saturn behind me. It's an optical drive-based system. It has a cartridge slot in the back, which is used for RAM carts and expansion cartridges. Become the first to do the backwards compatible. I don't, I don't know why they didn't do that. Take the route that Sony would eventually take, because if you re-engineered your Saturn to either, one, be backwards compatible with the Mega Drive, or, as was done with some of the Sony consoles, just slap the additional chips in there. And you imagine with a Saturn being able to play Mega Drive, Sega CD and 32X games and the Saturn, it means you probably could have sold the 32X for a year or so while you retooled the Saturn because you could have said to people, when you go up a level, you can take the games with you. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's wild that that's, that maybe there's, there's something in the hardware that kind of like restricts all of that or there's some, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's just part of the civil war between uh, Sega of Japan and Sega of America. But one of the things that they were really pushing, well, one of the things that Tom Kalinske learned from Nintendo and Nintendo's uh, follies with the Super Nintendo is that parents got super mad, that being the key word there, when the Super Nintendo came out that you couldn't play NES games on it. I was like, well, I've spent all of this money buying little Jimmy all of these Nintendo games. Why can't he play those on the new Nintendo? And that was a massive backlash that, that Nintendo got in the States. So you thought Tom Kalinske would have probably learned from that. I mean, he was trying to do that anyway, which is what the 32X and the Mega CD is all about. It's expanding the, the lifespan of the Mega Drive. It's a shame that it kind of falls apart. But like I said earlier, the, the fact that in two weeks' time or whatever it is, we get a feature on the Sega Saturn, there's, this thing was dead on arrival. This thing was bound to fail. And also that is bloody expensive as well. Like really, really pricey. It's, as Dominic Diamond says then, like you've got to buy this, also got to own the Mega Drive. So... If you're poor, you're out of luck. Oh, God, it is so frustrating. I get angry yeah. at the past in cases like this because Sega died as a hardware vendor because of shit like this, and it is so upsetting. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I've got a quote from a Tom Kalinske interview. When we come to the, the, the that Sega Saturn feature that essentially sums up... Actually, no, I think it's about the Pico, actually, but it's like it's it's why, you know, these sort of things fell apart. Like I was just thinking then about the, the point that you made, and you were absolutely right if the Sega Saturn was backwards compatible. And I suddenly thought, they had a f***ing thing for the Master System. Like, for the, the you could play Master System games onto the Mega Drive. So they knew that they could do that sort of thing. It's just, yeah, it's very frustrating. I wonder if it's just because the Mega Drive didn't sell that well in Japan. Yeah, it is interesting, because I, I constantly have to remind myself 
the Mega Drive wasn't a big hit in Japan. Which is why like Sega and Japan were like, push the Saturn, push the Saturn, push the Saturn. And Sega of America were like, push the 32X and the Mega CD because we've got the bloody Mega Drives doing great numbers over here. Whereas Japan's like, it's dead and it's gone. Saturn's the next thing. We're worried about Sony, push the Saturn. The quote from Scott Bayless was that the 32X just made us look greedy and dumb to consumers. Yeah. Containing chips designed to produce fast 3D graphics, it's no surprise that the first three 32X games are first-person perspective action games. First up, Star Wars. This polygon shifter has been making arcade players regularly change pants since it came out a few months ago. But did our punters poo theirs? Well, it's got all four missions from the arcade game. The graphic looks pretty much the same, I think. I haven't played the arcade game, but this is good. It's fast and really smooth. But let's talk about what we do actually see from this exciting new console. We get to see the first kind of three games. The first of those games, I would say, is arguably one of the best 32X games, and that is a port of the Sega Star Wars arcade game. I know we've just spent the last, like, 10 minutes or whatever it was dogging on the 32X, but bloody hell, this Star Wars game looks great. Looks really, really good. Like, the, the idea of playing that at home on my little Mega Drive, that looks amazing. I'm literally, like, flying into the trenches. Yeah, this was the first in a series of Sega Star Wars arcade games that was ported to the home. It was followed by, like, Star Wars Trilogy Arcade, uh, Star Wars Racer Arcade, and a pinball game. It is very similar to the Atari 1983 Star Wars arcade game. Uh, but it only has three levels, which include TIE fighters in an asteroid field, uh, destroying a superstar destroyer, and of course, that iconic run on the Death Star. It does translate remarkably well here. It is still a fun game to play. It does pretty well on the 32X. I would argue that if you had to pick a game to showcase the 32X, this would be the easiest one to go for, possibly only equaled by the next one, which also, I guess, showcased the difference between the Mega Drive and the 32X. Next up, we said if the kids didn't play Virtua Racing Deluxe, an enhanced version of the arcade game, we'd beat them with a stick. This is close to the original arcade game. The graphics are bigger and now fill the screen. It's got two new tracks and two new cards to play with. This is the, the souped-up version of this. But, you know, we got uh, on the Mega Drive. Bloody expensive it was on the Mega Drive. The deluxe version on the 32X comes with, you know, it's got extra tracks, it's got extra cars and things like that. We get it reviewed in a couple of episodes' time, I think. Yeah, I agree with I was going to make the exact same point that you did, is that, like, these two games are the ones to kind of like show it off. But I actually think it's the same for the third game because they show off Doom. Finally, they tried to look at the blood and gore fest. Doom. You could only play this uh, on a PC before, but it looks great on this. It really looks good. The 32X can handle Doom. Wicked gun as well. And they say in the VT that, like, previously you could only play this on PC. Now I can play it on a home console, which is quite a cool concept. It's a shame that it's a dog port of Doom, but it's still, like, the idea that you can play Doom on your home console while Doom 2 is, like, top of the console charts, that seems pretty rad. Yeah, it's the second quote from uh, one of our children apparently being held at gunpoint in Sega HQ that say, it looks good. The 32X can handle Doom. Wicked gun as well. It does look okay. It is a wicked gun, but can the 32X handle Doom? Can it, Bart? Can it really? Yeah, it, it don't play well, does 32X Doom. I think it is still widely regarded as the worst port of the game. And considering that that game has been ported to cash machines, 
I think that says a lot about the 32X. It's crazy to think that this is a port of doom that doesn't include the BFG 9000 because it's only the first two episodes of Doom. The third episode is completely missing. The sound isn't great on it either. And you've got some iconic monsters missing. There's no Cyber Demon. There's no Spider Demon. Bizarrely, the BFG 9000, despite not being in the game, is mentioned in the manual. Yeah, it was probably the same bloody manual they give us from the PC version. Sega expect to have 40 games out by next Easter, costing about 50 quid each, but the system itself costs 170 quid without any games, and you need a Mega Drive as well, so if you're poor, you might be stuffed. And as you mentioned earlier, Dom does run down the Costa Roonies and says, if you're poor, you might well be stuffed. And oh, by the way, that 40 games, and you said only got 40 games? We only got 27 of them over here. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of this as well that I was listing off there are like technically... They're Mega 32X games, so you also need the Mega CD for them as well. It's amazing that they came up with this to compete with Atari, and I would actually wager that they may have made a bigger shit show of the 32X than Atari made of the Jaguar, and that's saying something. At least the Jaguar had AVP. It only had AVP. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're just about to kick off the Games Master Donkey Kong special with the original Donkey Kong arcade game. Helping me out is Games Master's very own Andy Hutchison. Andy, I bet you know some crazy facts about this old classic. Well, funnily enough, Dominic, this game is so old that the Queen Mother was the first person ever to get her name on the high school table. (laughs) God bless her. Okay, each contestant uh, has to try and get to the top of the first screen. Whoever does it in the quickest time will win the golden joystick. I love the concept of the Queen Mum being stood in front of a Donkey Kong arcade machine with her 10 peas rode up along the top just going see that that's my daughter's face fuck off <laughs> bet you she was a machine hog she would not obey the rule of cues she would have just queued up as you say all of her 10 peas just lined up being like oh by the way i've got more 10 peas to go yet i just call up my daughter i get her to make some more yeah i don't know if this is um seen in pa- buckingham palace tours but i bet you there is an arcade hall in there somewhere like richie rich exactly yeah it's like what Richie Rich's kind of like playroom was based on. Yeah, totally. There's slides in there and shit like that. Maybe it's like Flynn's Arcade. In fact, that there's kind of like a, there's actually just like a really boring looking portrait of some old inbred guy. And the, the, you kind of pull it away from the wall and then boom, neon lights, old arcade games. They've got all the classics there. And there's a McDonald's in there as well. No, no, Burger King. I was going to think about King, but then I thought, no, would, would, would Her Match Highness prefer a, Mac- a Mackie D's? I oh, see. I'm going with the King Ralph timeline. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and also royalty makes more sense that way. But anyway, so Donkey Kong. Cheetan is up first, and this is very nice playing. You know, like Andy suggests going for the hammer. I think that would have been the wrong move because that would have really slowed you down. I think Cheetan did the right thing by just ignoring that. And he gets scuffed a little bit at the top when he gets three barrels that come directly at him and he has to wait for those to go past before he can start climbing. But really, like, I don't think you could say that he made an error. I think that he played this very, very smoothly. Absolutely. And if it was just a case of you need to complete the level rather than a speed run, I'd have gone for the hammer. But mm-hmm. while it does make the level easier, it makes it a lot slower because you are somewhat limited, you know, in your movement with the hammer. But it's really textbook play. He hesitates a little bit. That is his probably his worst moment is he hesitates. But he does make the challenge look pretty damn easy and makes it all the way to Daisy. Sorry. Pauline. <laughs> Pauline, not Daisy. Pauline <laughs> makes it there in 29 seconds. Nice. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes as well. Simon, on the other hand, gets about 24 seconds on the clock. He was hesitating up a storm and then gets caught by a barrel. He had a route that he wanted to do. And unfortunately, it just did not quite pan out for him on, on this occasion. He made a mistake. He took a barrel to the arse. That's that. 
So we have one completed, one no complete, and now it's all on Alistair to provide some serious competition to Chi. And he's got 29 seconds that he needs to beat here. He gets a great run on this. Really, really good. Like, I really thought that, that Chi wouldn't lose this, but Alistair gets up there and with one second spare, boom, gets to the top. 28 seconds is his time. Really enjoyed that as a challenge. Yeah, he doesn't hesitate as much as Chi, but he's also not quite as reckless as Simon. Simon was definitely going for speed and it was that speed that eventually kind of like cost him the run. Oh, so close. I love it when we get challenges that are this tight at the end. Was that with you two? Very, very unlucky. There was just one second in there. Where do you think you lost that vital second? I think it was near the top. I kind of missed the ladder. You yeah. dallied about a bit, didn't you? Yeah. And it proved to be crucial. Um, Simon, uh, you didn't really have time to dally. No. Did you? And now, uh, where did you go wrong? As again, as I was going up, look, I got hit by a barrel that was coming down. Alistair, one second in it, it was uh, very close there. Were you confident you could do it all the time? Yeah, I was. Yep, and you're very quite happy about winning the golden joystick? Mm, yeah. Yep, can we get that smile in camera three? <laughs> Lovely. Post-match, she's just like, I made a mistake. I lost that second when I missed a ladder. And that's it really, was just, you know, it's that, that's that one input that kind of like, that scuppered him a little bit there. Could have walked away with the golden joystick. Simon, on the other hand, didn't even have a chance. Uh, to, to make those sort of mistakes, just took a barrel to the face. I love Dom asking him where he went wrong, and he's just like, did you not see what happened? I got hit by a barrel. <laughs> yeah, I got hit by a barrel, mate. That's what went wrong. And Alistair, at the end, is just like, yeah, I was confident. And Dom says, oh, are you happy about winning the joystick then? And Alistair, looking not happy at all, goes, yeah. And Dom really puts him on the spot here, just going, oh, cool. Well, smile into that camera. Smile into camera three. Dance for us, monkey dance he is getting blood from a stone from this alistair stone right here before he gives him the golden joystick which i very much enjoyed when he gets the joystick he does wave it over his head like a good and he does celebrate properly and then belts off the stage yeah and it's especially interesting because he belts off the stage but as soon as he gets inside the cage he just stops yeah i've noticed that actually now that like previously in games master when you win you sort of like walk off into the sunset or wherever it is in series four you just walk back into the cage and you just stop in the cage again almost like rejoin the rest of the kids that were there i think it's kind of the whole purgatory hell thing which is like kind of the cages are containing the souls of the damned yeah and they're pulled out to entertain games master and his minion dominic and once that entertains is done you don't get a free card out of hell you're just sent straight back into purgatory no but you do at least have a golden joystick if you win i do imagine that as soon as the challenge is done they are allowed out because having to stand there for the rest of the filming with that joystick probably not a great thing oh no first up what's the best way to shamelessly rip off mario kart make it even better and call it street racer street racer came as a bit of a surprise it's um quite simply the best racing game on the super nes if not any machine while you're racing, you can pick up power-ups, you can punch other racers off the track. It's fantastic. As well as allowing you to have four players on screen at once, there are also a fantastic array of bonus games. There's a football game where you have to knock a ball around from within your car against all the other players, which is fab. And there's also a kind of sumo wrestling game where you all have to knock each other out of a ring. Each character in the game has his own set of tracks. There's Hodger, little Turkish geezer with a beard, and then there's Biff, who's a bit of a bully. Um, each individual track is very, very different from the last one and makes for very competitive racing. I like the fact that we have the same three reviewers uh, every single episode. That becomes like a pattern for Games Master, and I, I, I like it here. These three are good because they're not completely different in their opinions, but they do provide just enough of a difference on most games to make it a bit interesting and a bit more balanced. 
And they're also just really good and comfortable on camera and each has their own slightly different presenting style. Frank is very much the facts man. Tim, I'd say, is slightly more optimistic and Adrian is a slightly more cynical voice. Yeah, he's sort of there to be like the, the, the bit of chaos in there. Like he's, I, it's got guns in it, uh, that sort of thing. Like he, I, um, I, I like these three as a, as a combo. And I also very much like this game, Street Racer on the Snares. And I'm not alone in this. They bloody love this game. The line of... Well, here's a surprise. You tried to make a game that was a Mario Kart competitor. What you ended up making was a game that was better than Mario Kart. If this game had been developed at the same time as Mario Kart, I would say it's surprising. As it is, all they had to do was copy Mario Kart and add bits in. And that's kind of what they did, but it paid off. And also, I would say it probably kind of set the bar again for Mario Kart when Mario Kart came back again in a few years' time on the Nintendo 64. And actually, if you look at it, the further we get into Mario Kart lore, the more variation there is. Frank says it came as a surprise, possibly the best racing game on the SNES, if not any machine. And four players simultaneous, as Tim points out. Yeah, which is a step up from Mario Kart. And I wonder if that's where the it's better than Mario Kart comparisons come from. Because Mario Kart only had two, but this has got four. Tim also highlights that there are bonus games, like we mentioned the other week. There's football, there's also sumo, which is kind of a variant on battle mode. And Adrian highlights that each character has his own set of maps, which I guess Mario Kart did as well. Although the connections weren't drawn quite so intrinsically. And then we get the score, unsurprisingly, pretty damn high, 91%. Yeah, that's a really, really good score for this. But this game is reviewed in our now new and current issue of Games Master magazine, where they've made some changes to the formats because long gone are the dials of series two and three. And now we actually have percentage reviews for each category and an overall percentage, which will make our ratings game a bit more interesting and a bit more logical in the future. Now, this game is reviewed by Les but has a box out from Tim, so clearly there is some influence from the same person that reviewed it on Games Master. But it gets 90 for the graphics, I think deserved. It does look very good. It's really nice. Definitely competes with Mario Kart. 78 for the sound. They say it was an opportunity missed in the sound department. 88 for the gameplay. Lost to do apart from just hardcore racing and an incredible four-player option. 85% for the lifespan. With four players, it will never be the same race twice. There's more depth to this than any other racing game, but only 84% overall. Yeah, like the 84 there, that adds up with the other four percentages that came above it. Because like I was sat here waiting because you read through those scores and I was like, man, if this game gets over 90 in the magazine, I don't know how it managed to get so. So like the 84 seems to add up more there. There's not like a huge gap of, of you know, uh, 7% or whatever it is. But still like, one of those games is 91. Like one of those reviews gives it 91%. Because Les is very complimentary in his summary, saying it's a hell of a lot of fun to play, especially in multiplayer mode. It's a pleasant surprise, offers a lot of original features. Tim kind of echoes a lot of what he says here, where he's just talking about how good it is. But still, on the actual score, it comes down a bit. Next up, take a cute cartoon license and flog it till it lies coughing and spluttering. Is Acme All Stars a game too far? Acme All Stars is like two sports games rolled into one. You've got a straight basketball game and a straight football game. Um, they feature all the characters from the Tiny Toons series. And as such, it's a bit young for most people, I think. It's um, quite easy. The football side of Acme All Stars is not exactly up to FIFA or sensible soccer standards, but it is a very funny game in its own right. If you've got other, some friends that want to join in, it's even funnier. Hampton Pig is top winger extraordinaire. 
Both the games are rather limited and uh, I think even younger kids are going to get bored of this pretty quickly. If you want a football game, get a proper football game and likewise for basketball. Up next, we've got some sports as the Tiny Toons play Acme All-Stars. And yep, basically there's like, it's a bit too kiddie this. There's better football games out there. There's better basketball games out there. There were five different games sort of in this because you had basketball, football, bowling, a race course and a variant of whack-a-mole. I love Tiny Toons uh, and I really, really liked the cartoon series. I don't think they had the greatest of luck with games. There were a couple of good platforming ones, but I think like them doing a basketball game, that's probably not something I'd want to boot up. And yet Space Jam. Well, yeah, I mean, if they just waited a couple of years, then it'd been a different uh, kettle of fish, I guess. But like a lot of the Warner Brothers Tiny Toons type games, it's a Konami joint. It has a equal on the snares of uh, Wacky Sports Challenge, which was also released on the Game Boy. It's got the full cast. You've got Buster, Babs, Plucky, Hampton, J-Pig, Montana Max, Elmira, Shirley, Fifi, Calamity Coyote, Little Beeper, Furball, and of course, Dizzy Devil. It's a fun enough game. And like, it doesn't look bad. It mm. doesn't look shovelware. It just looks maybe a little bit misguided. Weirdly, I think a game like this would actually find a better home nowadays on things like the Switch. I agree with you on that one, because like, I think it's it does look nice. The animation looks really nice. It just doesn't look like that translate into being a football game or a basketball game or something along those lines. And it is odd that the reviewers here only really focus on two of the games. Like Adrian is saying that this game is two sports games rolled into one, basketball and a straight football game, and not too damning, but not too high score of 75%. And also reviewed in this issue of Games Master, where it gets 72%. Okay, well, that, that seems a bit closer. I wonder if it's a case of they, the, the copy that they had for review you know, the sort of the demo board that they had only had the two games on there. Or they only had time to look at the two. It could be that as well, yeah. Basically, it's no FIFA and it's no NBA Jam. Finally, Indy has a moustache, bizarrely, but is his SNES outing a highlight or a hairy moment? The man with the hat is back. Indiana Jones comes to the Super NES. Very much like Castlevania, there are plenty of platforms and there's plenty of whipping action. The indie character is beautifully animated. He performs all your typical indie functions. He can whip, he can jump, he can shoot people. And um, what you have here is a platform game with lots of levels, lots of nice graphics, and an indie. Basically, it does the same for the Indiana Jones films as the Star Wars game did for Star Wars. If you like the Indiana Jones films and you're a big Star Wars games fan, then this could be for you. And our last game in the review is one that we have talked about previously because we've had it released. We talked about it last couple of weeks ago as well because Factor 5 tried to do a, a conversion of this for the Mega Drive, which I wish they had done. It's Indiana Jones' greatest adventures, basically the Super Star Wars trilogy, down into one cart and it's bloody great but why does indiana jones have a mustache because he really does on this title screen <laughs> yeah we're seeing kind of the alternate reality tom Selleck indiana jones here it's uh, it's all about the mustache yeah it's, it's a nice little look for him and like you know they kind of compare it to adrian compares it to castlevania which i think is a very apt comparison it feels very much like a castlevania game just because you've got the whip and things like that i really like this it's a really fun game um it was recently sped run at, at games done quick and I, I watched through it and it's just really enjoyable uh 83 it gets here and i think that's a very very fair score unlike star wars though where we got a game for each movie this does combine all three indiana jones movies because remember luke there are only three indiana jones movies mm -hmm. at this point in time and forever 
Yes, even when the fifth one comes out. Sorry, I broke up there. Didn't hear you. <laughs> but anyway, you start only being able to play Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and Last Crusade are only available once you progress through the game. But does also get reviewed in the magazine. It's Les again. Man, Les writes a lot of these reviews. He quite likes it. 79%. I would have thought it would have been an easy 80, like into the 80 mark, personally. I mean, graphics gets 85, sound gets 81, gameplay is 79, lifespan 78. So I suppose 79 actually balances out yeah. kind of nicely there. It is a little bit, I wonder if it's because it's a platforming game and there's only so much... Because, like, platforming games were, like, you do the platforming, what's on the next level? That's uh, the platforming again. What are you doing on the next level? That's uh, the platforming again. Yeah, this gets a bit samey after a while, even if you are doing three different movies. And in the summary, I think one of Les's most notable criticisms is... It's just a little too similar to the Star Wars games for its own good. That's an interesting comment. The thing is, with the Star Wars games, you do at least get some breakup from the platform, which you don't get as much of in Indiana Jones because there are, as of time of recording, no spaceships directly involved. Although, given what I've heard about that fifth movie that doesn't exist, we could see Indy on the moon. Now it's time for the second semi-final in our Games Master FIFA 95 special. In our last show, Casey Keller edged out Andy Cole 1-0 to claim the first final berth. To see who will be joining him, please welcome tonight's special guests, Andy Townsend and Vinnie Jones. Now, Vinnie, you've been on the show before, we know you're good at these games, you must be the favourite tonight, yeah? Well, I've had about 10 minutes practice and Andy ain't had none, so it should be interesting. But you always say you've only had a little bit of practice every time you come, but you always do well. No. And I have to say though, Vinnie, I'm a bit concerned because I was reading in the papers the other day that you're getting a bit soft. Is this true? But it might be married life. We'll have to see. <laughs> so, Andy, you might have an advantage then now if, if Vinny's mellowing. Definitely. I mean, I've, uh, I've had a mess around at home on uh, my son's computer, but not this game, I'm afraid. There's not really much we can say about FIFA here. We've talked about FIFA this particular iteration lots. There's not much we can say about Vinnie Jones. We've talked about Vinnie Jones a lot. This is his third appearance? Yeah, this is his third bit. He's going for his record th a third golden joystick because he won in Series 2. He won last year's FIFA tournament. He's coming into this one as the defending champion. We also got to talk about it when he was on Gladiators, when we did the Christmas special for that on uh, UCP Extra. I think he's our most talked about celebrity just by number of appearances. Easily. We can talk about Andy Townsend a bit. At that point, current footballer, now a co-commentator for Premier League and CBS Sports. He represented Ireland in two World Cups, started for Welling United and Weymouth, came to prominence at a very young age of 21 when he signed with Southampton and then moved on to Norwich City before joining Chelsea in 1990. And then in 1993, and this is the point where we join his career, he was with Aston Villa and enjoyed four successful years there before then being transferred to Middlesbrough, eventually moved on to West Bromwich Albion, which is where he retired from competitive play in 2000 and then moved on to becoming a co-commentator and pundit. He's also had quite a good video game career having been a commentator on several EA football games, including 2006 FIFA World Cup, the UEFA Champions League game from 2006-2007, Euro 2008, 2010 FIFA, UEFA Euro 2012, 2014 FIFA, and most recently FIFA 12 through to FIFA 17. EA released too many FIFA games. Way too no. many. But while we don't really need to talk about Vinny's career at this point, I do want to say I liked his jacket. That's got a Batman Returns patch on the side. I know. I saw that. I was like, that's a very cool Batman jacket he's got himself there. I, I mean, I love the, uh, the Tim Burton Batman logo. It's one of my faves. I do think that Vinny here, he's, he's based his look on the Fonz because we've got the jeans, the white t-shirt, the black leather jacket, 
it's an it's an eternal cool look. It's one that I still kind of go for today, just not looking anywhere near as good as Vinnie Jones or Henry Winkler. And he talks about how, you know, he's the pre-match favourite going into this because he's already won two golden joysticks in the past. He won the tournament last year. So he, but he, you know, I've only got, I've only had 10 minutes on this one. I was like, Vinny, mate, it's the same as FIFA fucking last year. You'll be fine, mate. Andy, meanwhile, says he hasn't had any. So it should be interesting. Dom has a concern that he says, according to the papers, Vinny is getting a bit soft. And Vinny, in a very 90s move, goes, well, that's married life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very nice. And Andy goes, well, I did have a mess around at home on my son's computer, but not on this game. Who knows what he was playing. Unless he was playing FIFA International Soccer, maybe? Or Sensi, because he says computer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's it's probably some football game. We just don't know what football game it was. So Vinny hasn't really practised, and he's been playing the wrong game. Luke, it's going to be a quality challenge. I've got that deep feeling in my gut. Okay, if you want to see if Vinny Jones can ruffle Andy Townsend's here tonight, join us after the break. It's black. It's multiplying in your home. It's mildew. Fight back with new duck mildew remover. Just spray it on, watch it eliminate mildew, then rinse clean away to leave your bathroom mildew-free. New duck mildew remover. The awesome new ride at Alton Towers. Sit back. It's fright time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's mouth-watering. New Whiskers Fine Cuts in Jelly. Scrumptious, finely cut, meaty pieces, surrounded in soft, nutritious jelly. More delicate and moorish. A tempting new way to enjoy whiskers. 
right down to the last lick. New Whiskers Fine Cuts in Jelly. Mmm, cats would buy Whiskers. Sainsbury's, where good food costs less. Sainsbury's Classic Cola, buy two packs, get the third free. And less. Muller Fruit Corners, now only 25p. And less and less. Welcome back. Andy Townsend and Vinnie Jones are about to play the second semi-final in the Games Master FIFA 95 special, holding my magic sponge is Simon Byron from the one. Simon, who do you think's got the edge tonight? Oh, it's definitely Vinnie. Uh, he's already proved his games, games playing skills on their previous series. Um, he's playing as Wimbledon. They've got better goalies and, funnily enough, better passing. So uh, well, no game could be 100% realistic. <laughs> True enough. It's very nice though because we've got two uh, Premier League players here, which means we can have. Andy playing as Villa and Vinny as his team as well, playing as Wimbledon. So it's kind of nice to, this is really them sort of representing their own teams going into this game. Um, although Vinny does start shooting the wrong way right from the get-go. Yeah, he hoofs the ball off the pitch immediately and Casita thrown to Andy on the edge of his penalty box. A few episodes back in the Nova Storm Challenge, we were talking about how, you know, this is third generation VHS that's been sort of compressed and recorded and re-recorded this and the other and has now been loaded onto YouTube, which has compressed it even further. And that really like desaturated the curves. I think it's a real problem with the Series 4 stuff, which feels like a very dark season. The same problem we got here in this episode because, you know, one team is playing in dark blue, the other team is playing in dark magenta. And so there are times where it's like, they look like they're wearing the same outfits. Yeah, I'm, I mean, thankfully, because it's football, we kind of have an idea which way they should be shooting. Hopefully, sometimes the players have an idea of which way they should be shooting. This isn't the most exciting first half of a FIFA challenge we've ever had. Probably the highlight is Vinny absolutely walloping a Villa player, which feels mm -hmm. very on brand for Wimbledon. And whilst they do end up having a few runs on goal, including a shot that goes way wide, the first half ends nil nil yeah it, like you say it wasn't the most exciting first half of football we've had which i think it was you know the same as last week's episode as well the, the the challenge we had on fifa 95 last week thankfully the second half it picks up a little bit if only because andy absolutely screams his goal in it is a corking shot keeper had no chance stopping it neither did the defense it is a wonderful wonderful goal and we also get a little bit of editing within the games master production where they're not showing us the celebration and this and the other, which is like messing with the timer. It feels like we're skipping through that much quicker this time that we didn't get last week. But also, I really like the crowd were clearly behind Andy. Andy was rapidly becoming the fan favorite here because you can hear them chanting his name. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And Vinny has one tactic on this, which is to keep hoofing it up the field. It's the Wimbledon tactic. Yeah, and it doesn't pay off for him. Anytime he tries it either, and then Andy just wins. Now, Vinny, what happened? You were the pre-match favourite, then it all seemed to go to pieces. Yeah, might, might have been a little bit overconfident this time. I think so. You came out, and there's a, a lot of long balls pumped needlessly forward. Yeah, I forgot that we'd sold fast. You're know, <laughs> putting it forward to fast. <laughs> now, Andy, what did you say to the boys at half-time? Because uh, the second half, they were storming. Yeah, well, I just said, keep it going, lads. You know, uh, we're looking good. Yeah. Play a uh, natural game. That's it. Keep going. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a good win in the end. And you came up with Trump's at the end, which means that we're going to see you in the next show for the grand final. And uh, we have to say goodbye to Vinny at this point. But let's have a round of applause for both our guests today. Vinny and in the post-match, Vinny thinks he might have been overconfident. And Dom says, well, there were a lot of long balls punted forward needlessly. And Vinny's like, well, I forgot this old fash. I 
absolutely loved that. Yeah, I forgot we sold Fash line. I, I kept kicking the ball up to him and he wasn't there. Yeah, it's such a great line. I, I That was the highlight of this whole challenge for me. It was a crap challenge made fun by the banter. And also, let's be honest, that goal was a classic. Yeah, it really was. Like an absolutely screaming goal. Also, I think for Vinny Jones, you know, this is his third appearance on the show. This felt like a much more personable Vinny Jones than we've had previously. Like when he was on Series 2, he was just like, yep, Vinny, hello, I'm here, play games. We had the same thing in Series 3. Yep, Vinny, I'm here to play games. Here, he's actually having a chat with Dominic Diamond. He's talking about Wimbledon at the start of the challenge. He's talking about Fash at the end of this. It feels more like a, a human being as opposed to just monosyllabic, oh, I'm the hard man that the Daily Mail writes about. Oh, he has gone soft, hasn't he? He has gone soft. But Andy talks about giving a pep talk to his players, which again, I love the kind of like the suspension of disbelief that he was actually talking into the controller at halftime going, now, come on, lads. Yeah, come on, lads. We've got to get, we've got to get the ball up there. It's really, really good. Fun if crap challenge, worth it for the bants. Games master, I can't get through the first level of Hulk on the Mega Drive. What am I doing wrong? You need to put on a bit of weight straight away. On level one, walk to the first sewer and drop down. Jump up and walk to the left. And like that, you'll find yourself in a secret room containing a health power. Collect this, you'll find yourself a dazzling shade of green that becomes your improved statue. <laughs> better now. Much better, thanks. Hulk on the Mega Drive is a game that I have played a couple of times and never really got on with. It's okay, I guess. It's just, it's like when um, emulation became a massive deal uh, in sort of the early aughts and stuff and playing it on PCs and stuff. This was one of those ones that I played then. And I was like, yeah, this is okay, but it's not one I'm going to rush back to play. It looks standard for this time, runny, jumpy platformer. It looks like it would fit in along with a lot of the other Marvel games that were coming out, like uh, Arcade Revenge and the various X-Men games. Not terribly executed, but not brilliant. And I think no. a lot of the review scores kind of balanced off with that. Uh, EGM actually really praised the Game Gear version, giving it 6.8% and just going, it's amazing what they actually did on the Game Gear. Mm. But the first kid, she can't make it through the first level. What's she doing wrong? And Games Master tells her to gain weight. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's just like, you know, going down and getting those power-ups. Yeah, get your Hulk power pill, get your Roidy Magoo on. You go down into the sewer, you find a secret room, and of course, like any time you find drugs in a sewer, you eat them. I think that's what gives Hulk his strength. Yeah, he basically eats the same uh, kind of nutrients and supplements that Chuds do. Games Master, at the start of level four, not the tunnel for the Omega, there's a platform with lots of power-ups on it that I can't reach. Do you know how to make me stretch up so I can reach them? You will need to have faith in me if you're going to fulfill your ultimate goal. First, make your way to the very far right of the level. Then travel up. You will come to a point where you can see a number of coins suspended tantalizingly in the distance. You seem to reach a dead end. Now make a leap of faith toward the coins, and this is why magic, a hidden platform will appear under your weary feet. Now you can make your way to the original platform, where you'll be rewarded with a host of powers. Thanks, Gabe, for that's a nice one. This looks like a, a fun little 
almost Shadow of the Beast style uh, platforming game that's got a lot of puzzle elements to it as well. It's also one of those um, consultation zone entrants where it's like, you do this, then you do the thing, then you do this, then you do this, and then you get to this bit here. It's a proper playthrough hint rather than a, oh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Oh, you want to get that platform right above you? Well, you've actually got to go to the far end of the level, then jump all the way up, make a leap of faith towards some coins, and then it will take you all the way along. Boom, goodies, this should help. Not much to say about this game. It was an Amiga game. It was released in 94, so it was a current game at time of broadcast. Platform shooter up starring Ruff, hence the name Ruff and Tumble, and follows the story of Ruff Rogers, who was apparently playing with his marbles in the park. He loses one down a rabbit hole and follows after it, and it turns out to be a portal to an alien planet. Mate, the amount of times that's happened to me in Hyde Park. Games Master, I'm not very good at theme park on the PC. Nobody ever comes to my park. Could you help me, please? Well, it's a game of swings and roundabouts. But I think I may have a little something to set your big wheel in motion. Enter this name, then go up to the park screen and press Alt and Z, Control and Z, and Shift and Z to get all the lines, drops and pieces respectively. That should put some hot air into our balloons. Great, that's Mega Games Master. Oh, that means that Theme Park is in our timeline now, which fills me with such joy because I bloody love playing Theme Park. And this is a great cheat. Put your name in as Horza, Alt Z, Control Z, Shift Z, you'll have all the rides, you'll have all the money. That's how you get all of the fun stuff. Yeah, sure, you can play Theme Park and progress through and get more money and unlock more rides and get more people. That's all well and good. But sometimes don't you just want to boot it up and just have everything and just build the biggest theme park possible? Isn't that also really fun? That's also really fun, especially if you make one of your roller coasters a literal death trap. Mm -hmm. Or build all the soda stands in the world and no toilets. Yeah. <laughs> You do the, I remember my brother taught me uh, one of the really uh, easy, it's not so much a cheap, but just sort of like an easy sort of thing that you can do to make more money in the game, which is to slightly increase the level of salt on chips and slightly increase the ice that's in the drink because the salt makes people buy more drinks, but you also make more profit on the drinks because you're putting less liquid into the cups. That is a legitimate tactic used by fairgrounds, theme parks, and to be honest, even like takeaway restaurants. Less now because, of course, too much salt bad. But certainly the ice level. You want to piss off someone at a takeaway? Ask for your drink with no ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're fuming about that sort of thing. But this is a Peter Molyneux game, and apparently that's the game that he always wanted to make because he thought, felt the business genre was worth pursuing. And it was a follow-on from an earlier business simulator called The Entrepreneur, which had a key error in that it was not fun. <laughs> and he wanted to make a game that was fun and in an amazing departure from Peter Molyneux's modus operandi, he actually delivered on this. It was fun. And it is a game that not only launched off the entire theme series, but also the game itself has been released, re-released, remastered, it jumped to the consoles. There were versions for the Saturn and the PlayStation. There were remakes for the Nintendo DS. There was a remake for iOS. There was Theme Hospital. There was Theme Park World. There was Theme Park Inc., apparently. And even then, outside of the theme universe, 
it had its imitators, it had its kind of inspired by and arguably one of the best um, kind of theme games around at the moment is uh, Two Point Hospital. I was about to say Two Point Hospital, yeah, that's a Sega joint and like they, people go absolutely nuts for that game. I'm looking forward to their follow-on, which they're doing called Two Point Campus, I think it is, or Two Point University, which is basically, it's sim education and that being someone that has a background in working in education i'm quite looking forward to doing that which is essentially i will run a campus i will give no money to the business studies department because fuck them, and i'll give all the money to the it department because yay and the arts arts and it that will be it balls to the rest friend of mine at university my housemate in fact um he was a big fan of theme park but if there's a game that he loved more than that it's talking about like imitators and I can't remember quite the name of this, but there was a Jurassic Park one, which was essentially theme park, but it's Jurassic Park. So you build the paddocks, you get the dinosaurs and things like that, and you build sort of like a full working Jurassic Park theme park. And it was really, really cool. Um, and then he just decided to take all the fences down because he was a dick. Oh, worth saying though, Luke. Guess what? What's that? There was a Jaguar version and it was released and it was quite good. Very nice. It had no save game feature. Yeah, well, hang on. Hold hold the phone. It was a theme park game that you could not save. Also, it suffered from slowdown. So every single time you booted it up, a blank canvas. You couldn't go back to one you'd done previously. That is what I'm assuming. Oh, uh, apparently they also did the text, so it actually made all the labels really difficult to read. You know, I said it was quite good. Yeah. That was a lie. I was going to say, like, if you have got a theme park game where you can't save your theme parks that you've made, I would ask the question, I'd beg the question, what was the fucking point in releasing it? I mean, you could widen that to the Atari Jaguar itself. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But anyway, that should put some hot air into your balloons. I did like the, that's mega, Games Master. It's the 90s after all. Summer CES 1994 and some put out of our actress to dress like a monkey to announce the launch of Donkey Kong Country, Nintendo's flagship title this year, which is Shock Horror, a platform game. A far cry from the first Donkey Kong 15 years ago, which was a platform game, albeit the first one ever. It had four levels, sparse animation, and the characters were one-dimensional in a we-could-present-the-word type situation. However, the difference with the latest Kong incarnation is that it's very physically attractive. There's a hundred mini-adventure type levels, computer-rendered characters, and animation more lifelike than anything on a British Rail buffet. Tim Stamper is not a terribly good-looking bloke, but is chief designer of the game. So, how do you create backgrounds, Tim? First thing we need is uh, part of a tree. There's the fir tree scanned in, so this is now a texture in memory. For reasons of interestingness, I'll step in now and tell you that they then rotate and copy this all over the shop to get something that looks like a bush. So what do we need now, Tim? A rocky, rocky path on a grassy backdrop. Combine those two with the trees. And you get a deep loving marriage between realistic foregrounds and silhouetted backdrops. You can get Mr and Mrs unique visual environment coming to visit a shop near you on November the 18th. But here is why we are all here this week, this Donkey Kong Country special. We get to see footage from the summer CES that we spoke about last week. And I've um, there's a YouTube uh, video, like it's cut up in sort of four parts that someone's loaded up of like camera footage of just you know walking around with a handheld camera from CES 94. And I did have a full like, oh, take me back. I wish I could go there and just sort of like live in that moment now as an adult walking around at this trade show. 
seeing the Nintendo like literal treehouse that they had, the vulture that was spinning round it. This was a living, breathing world that they'd created for, as we talked about last week, a game that Nintendo are all in on Donkey Kong Country. $15 million worth of marketing. That's where we're at. And Dom's like, shock horror. It's a Nintendo flagship game and it's a platformer. They kind of compare it to the original. They talk about how the original only had four levels and the characters were one dimensional in a we can present the word kind of way because the Danny Bear bashing lives on Mm -hmm. in principle, if not in name. I'm sure Dom still isn't bitter about not getting that gig way back when. Oh, definitely not. But the animation is more lifelike. But but also we take a pot shot at British Rail by saying the animation is more lifelike than anything on a British Rail buffet. And we meet Tim Stamper, who, despite not being a terribly good looking bloke, is the chief designer on the game. If you listen to last week's episode, which you should do because it was a lot of fun to do, um, we only hear Tim on the phone in that video there in sort of like the one brief moment where they're like, oh, by the way, we also work with this other company in the UK, sort of ignoring the fact that that company in the UK made the sodding game and it's just like Nintendo are publishing it. Here we actually get to hear from Tim proper and Tim can talk us through, you know, the backgrounds and, and, and all this sort of stuff. So it was nice to get Tim some more camera time after last week's quick phone call where he said he went to the zoo for a bit yeah although much of his explanation is talked over by dom and to be fair i don't blame them because what he essentially describes is you scan in a photo of a bit of foliage you cut it out and you copy and paste it yeah they literally pick the most boring part of the graphical game building element so let's bring this franchise kicking and screaming into the 90s what's our final challenge games master Grab out the strip on the banana skin and endure some serious monkey boots. Because our final challenge is on the inevitable Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. Three contestants will be aiming to prove they're the biggest swingers in town by completing the first level in the quickest possible time. And indulging in this monkey-related mayhem we have Tim Lockhart, Christian Din and Shari Fosman. I bet you three have had some great monkey experiences in your life. But what about this game? On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you guys about being one of the first people in Britain to play Donkey Kong Country? Tim? A 10, definitely. Chris? 10. Sharif? 8. I knew you would just be awkward, wouldn't you? You can always tell it's a bloke in a silly hat that's going to be awkward. Well, of course, it's Donkey Kong Country. What else is it going to be? And it's going to be a speed run of the first level. And engaging in this monkey mayhem, we've got Tim Luckhurst, Christian Dane and Sharif Fosman. And Dom reckons all three of these lads have had some great monkey experiences in their lives. But how do they feel about being some of the first people to play Donkey Kong Country? I I just like the fact that Christian's wearing a 3DO t-shirt. I did immediately have a note on that. I'm just like, hey, that's a cool 3DO sweatshirt you got going on there or long sleeve t-shirt. But bloody Sharif, splitter. (laughs) My uh, my thinking on um, Christian's 3DO t-shirt is that he was wearing a different t-shirt that they couldn't clear or didn't want to risk clearing or couldn't put up on TV. So they were like, you can't wear that, mate. You're going to have to wear something from the green room. And all that was there was all of the 3DO merchandise from all of the marketing they were doing for the 3DO on this show. Hey, I'm not going to I'm not gonna hate on it because, you know, I do like the 3DO, Luke. But yeah, Sharif is the, uh, is the one who's not as excited to play this as the others because you've always got to have one contrarian amongst the group. And he was the one that was chosen and said, say, eight. Yeah, exactly. Tim is going first and takes his place on the rock. And I do like how we're actually now referring to basically you sit on the rock and you play the game. And Christian and Sharif get to ape around in the background. And Andy 
is in the box with Dom because he can't bear to leave us. And still helping me out in the commentary box is Andy Hutchinson because he can't bear to leave us. Andy, it's whoever can get through the level in the quickest time. There's a couple of dilemmas though for our contestants, Andy. Go through them. Well, that's right, because they have insurance in the way of Donkey Kong Jr. who's hiding in a barrel. Now, it takes a couple of seconds to get at Donkey Kong, so do they go for him? Do they not? Right. The other dilemma is, is it quicker to go through the bonus level when you get the rhino? These are just options that'll have to weigh up as they play. And these are just some of the questions which will be answered on tonight's final challenge. Yeah, and it talks about, you know, how you've got two options when playing this game. You could either try and run through it now as Donkey Kong, or you can grab the barrel, open it up, and you get Diddy Kong, uh, who's, you know, was uh, captured there by the Kremlins. However, he calls him Donkey Kong Jr. That ain't Donkey Kong Jr. there, mate. That's Diddy Kong. He's the cool one, remember? Josh would be crying at the lack of recognition for Diddy right here. But it's not the only option they've got because also there's the Rhino. Do you take the Rhino route? Do you go for the bonus level? It's a multi-path level and some of those are going to speed you up and some of them are going to slow you down. So it, it could be a very, very interesting challenge. Tim is up first and Tim takes the option of both getting Diddy Kong and also taking the Rhino bonus exit. And he does it in 46 seconds. It didn't feel like he took like any extra time on bits and that. He wasn't like dicking around. He felt like he took that very, very straight. And 46 seconds felt like a really good time. When Christian does it, bloody hell. Like it, it, not taking that bonus saved him like 10 seconds of time. I mean, he grabs the rhino, which is, of course, by default, meant to lead you into the rhino run bonus stage, which is underground in a cavern, very Mario-like. You can see the influences of Mario right here. But he jumps and instead just runs straight over the top. He doesn't have to worry about dodging enemies because that rhino will go straight through them. And it's amazing. And suddenly, like, yeah, the 10-second gain, it's just like, wow, Sharif is going to have a tough time beating this. And spoilers, he does. Because he stops to pick up Diddy, that's standard. But then he begins to bottle it. He fartasses around. He loses Donkey. So it's Diddy alone who climbs up onto the rhino. But he goes through the bonus level and cutting to his reaction, he clearly did not mean to go through the bonus. He just bollocks the timing on the jump. And I yeah. do say he bollocks the timing on the jump because we're going to get to that in a second. Amazingly, despite it being impossible for him to win, they actually let him complete the challenge because normally as soon as the clock clicks over the leading time, they're like, well, you can't win. We're not wasting our time here. But no, they, they let him complete it, probably because it is the big feature game. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, these are among the first people in the UK to play this game. It's the first time the game's being shown on TV and, and things like that. So I, I appreciate that they let them all finish the challenge. Also, he comes second, despite the fact that friggin' Ellie was dicking around. He took forever to get Diddy Kong out. He was then messing around. He lost Donkey Kong, which technically, like from a speedrunning perspective, when you watch speedrunners play this game, the very first thing they do is lose Donkey Kong because Diddy Kong is so much quicker. So although unknowingly, he actually had the smarter route by getting rid of Diddy Kong first because Diddy moves faster across the board. That's probably the only reason he managed to make it to second. Tim, uh, you were a bit unlucky in that you had to go first, actually, weren't you? Yeah, I didn't know whether to go through the bonus or not, and I did, and it was... Oh. And it was uh, you were very unlucky, although uh, Christian, you were very fortunate because you, you took a bit of a risk going up the top there, but it but it paid off. Yeah, because I saw him going bonus he was slower, so I took the top one. And then we came with you, Sharif, and knowing that the bottom bonus level bit was slower, you still opted to choose it. Uh, any reason why? It wouldn't jump. Sorry, it wouldn't, wouldn't jump. jump. 
You're trying to blame our, our controllers now. Yeah. 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 We believe you, uh, Sharif. I am still in favor of the fact that the kids shouldn't see each other's runs. I agree. They should be asked to turn around because it does mean that that first player in something like this is not an immediate disadvantage because it doesn't matter how much you've played it in the green room. If you see what the actual time on the board is from that first player, you're going to adjust things. And then Dom turns to Sharif and says that despite knowing it was slower, you chose to go to the bonus level. And Sharif says it wouldn't jump and essentially blames the game and or the controllers. And Dom's like, well, okay, we believe you. We don't believe you. And I'll be honest, no offense, Sharif. I don't believe you. You bolst up the timing. There's no shame in that. Sour grapes there a little bit, sort of like, you know, losing out on, on that. And just blaming controllers, it's almost like a typical thing to do at this point. And a lot of the times when people blame the controllers, they usually do it in sort of like a, a half-hearted fashion of just like, oh yeah, no, the controller didn't work in it. He, you no, know, he was just like, nah, the inputs didn't work. Uh, that controller just didn't work for me, which I think is a massive load of bollocks. Christian, via his Rhino tactics and quick wit, he walks away with the joystick, and I'm actually surprised he didn't get some bonus Donkey Kong swag either. This felt like one of those opportunities where he might get a statue or like a WWF title belt for some of those earlier challenges. But he got to look like a cool dude on television. He got to wear a 3DO shirt. That's pretty awesome. I hope he got to keep the 3DO shirt. Yeah, I'd have, I would have thought so as well. Like, and he was bound not to get uh, some bonus stuff. I mean, they're working with Nintendo here, the stingy bastards. He was never going to get any free swag out of them. They could have given him a banana. Could have done, yeah, with the Nintendo oh, branding on there. Luke, it's been a week. Would you like a banana now? Do you know what? I think I actually will have one now, if possible. Don't have any. They've gone oh, off. Oh, man. It's always a way with fruit. You turn your back for a week, or in our case, an hour, um, <laughs> and they've gone off. And they've it's gone turned. off. Last thing I wanted to make mention of this speedrunner as well. You know, from a sort of an impressive standpoint, bear in mind, this is 1994. This is a guy who has played the game for the, you know, for the first time on that day, uh, most certainly. And his time that he made it through was 36 seconds. The current world record of Donkey Kong, I watched it like in preparation for this. He does the first level in 29 seconds. It can be done in 28, but the current world record has it at 29 seconds. He was only seven seconds off a world record that's done like in 2021, which is very impressive for 94. Especially given that he maybe had an hour. I guess it shows that this first level is quite easy. Yes. And I also wonder if he'd taken, as you said, the now known acknowledged route of lose the donkey, go Diddy, he might have been even closer. I completely agree with you. We're finished here for today. I'm off to propose that Scavengers gets another series. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Did Scavengers ever get another series? Fuck no. But essentially, Scavengers, it's kind of a crystal maze, nightmare kind of thing. I think it's something that maybe a few years later would have done a lot better. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Ash, what did you make of this Donkey Kong Country special? I went ape for it, Luke. No, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I thought the opening challenge was great. It was great to see the then and the now in a way that was actually way more contrasting than our Sonic special, where it's essentially the same game with slightly shinier graphics. But Donkey Kong to Donkey Kong Country, it is a multi-generational leap. And that was amazing to see. Both those first and last challenges were also great challenges. While there were three competitors for each, it really was a two-way race. I had a great time with them. It made me want to play both games again. And mild spoilers, while I was actually working on some retro ROM compilations when I was testing systems, I actually booted up both Donkey Kong on the NES and Donkey Kong Country on the SNES just to test out a couple of titles because they've been sticking in my head as we've approached this episode. Uh, I thought the reviews were great. 
I thought the consultation zone was a lot of fun. There were some great games highlighted in there. Good to see Theme Park. Good to talk about that. Not so great to see the 32X, but interesting because it's such a massive folly. And honestly, I could see us at some point down the line when we're post-series doing some more stuff on things like the 32X, doing some more stuff on the Saturn and whatnot, because there is so much to say. Mm. The Celeb Challenge was fun for the celebs. It was fun for the banter. The game itself was kind of eh, despite the screaming goal. But it was so cool to see these games. It was so cool to see those reviews. And as I was making the notes, I was thinking, I'm going to have a lot of fun talking about this with you. So I really enjoyed this episode, despite the lack of Donkey Kong in the middle middle challenge. And I thought, if not for the FIFA, they could have maybe done a Mario Kart challenge where someone was playing as Donkey. I still rate this episode highly, and I think it's a better Donkey Kong special than the Sonic special. I think it's a much better um, special than the Sonic one. Um, if only as well, because like like you say, you could have had a Donkey Kong challenge in the middle of this, but it's just the way that the production was. They probably did all the celebrity shots in one big block thing. They didn't know which episode was going to go into, or which challenge was going to go into which episode and all that sort of stuff. So I totally get it. I totally get why it's not there. Um, but I loved this episode. I really did. I thought that it was a really nice way to show the the, the progression of the series. I kind of wish the feature had been better for Donkey Kong Country. It's good, but it almost feels like they picked the most boring bit of it just so they could make fun of Tim. And that's fine. That's what Games Master is these days. And that's absolutely fine as well. I really enjoyed the 32X thing, though. I I enjoyed the 32X bit of news because I I find it to be a fascinating bit of kit. Great set of reviews. Consultation was all right. Got to talk about theme park. And that Donkey Kong Country Challenge at the end felt real special. It felt really special. And I think that's the one thing we haven't had in this series yet, where you've had it like we've had Sonic and Knuckles. We've had Earthworm Jim and Primal Rage. Primal Rage actually felt quite special. But as a home console thing, this felt really special. Like, a, oh my God, we're seeing this for the first time. That's really awesome. In a couple of episodes time, there's an ending to the show that feels like, wow, we are seeing something really cool and really special here. And that's what I got from this. So I, I had a blast with this episode. So with all that being said, are we actually going to follow through with this on the scores or are we going to do a Games Master magazine and backpedal a bit? What are you thinking? I'm in the 90s. I am I am at 90% for this. Well, I've cheekily looked and while we're going to talk about the actual review of Donkey Kong Country when it appears in an episode, I'm not going to go quite as high as what Games Master magazine gave it, but I am going to go slightly above 90%. I'm going to go to 92 very nice. Yeah. I mean, it was it's a great episode. Really, really good. And it's, it was a really fun celebration of Donkey Kong Country's release. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. And you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to feedback and interact with us in some real time, bebe, you can do it on our Discord, which is full of games chat, sports chat, movie and film and general geekery chat with us, with other listeners of Under Consultation, with other fans of Games Master and video games and pop culture in general. It's a great community. I love it there. Details can be found in our show notes or on our social media. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show format, but done for other TV shows like nightmare we've done fun house finders keepers uh we've done animated shows like the real ghostbusters earthworm jim we even did press gang to say goodbye to dexter fletcher at the end of series three 
And you'll also get access to Under Console Nation, the aforementioned Under Console Nation, which is our monthly community show where we answer your questions and have a bit of a chat for an hour or so. It's available as a podcast after the live stream as well. And at the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Well, you get our Patreon pack, which contains a Patreon-exclusive mug, which is in itself filled with Patreon-exclusive badges, stickers, retro sweeties, retro trading cards, Power Rangers, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details at the moment and £5 off our first under console t-shirt which can be bought along with other mugs, badges and stickers at our website underconsultation.com And a shout out to those £10 backers Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean Hannon, Sean Dunn, Sarah aka Pink Lithium, Roberts, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matty, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, Adam Warrington, Adam Rigby, and Adam D. We love each and every single one of you, and we will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. Good night.